I want to preach a message called Faith That Moves. With God's help, I believe your faith is going to be encouraged. And I believe that maybe some of you, you're going to be willing and ready to take the next step with Jesus. A faith that moves. I don't know about you, but that sounds good to me. I don't want, I don't, when I think of faith, I don't, I don't think of a faith that's stagnant, a faith that sits, a, a faith that waits. No, 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 a faith that moves. And so if you have your Bible, would you open to Mark chapter 2? Mark chapter 2. And actually, I'm going to ask you to stand, if you're able to, in, in reverence of God's Word as we read it together. I'll be reading from the NLT. We'll have it on the screen as well. So here's what it says. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Note this, seeing their faith, not the mess or the interruption, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Notice they didn't say it out loud. It was just in their hearts. Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat and walk? It's a rhetorical question. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority. Underline that word if you're able to. Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. If you said it, I believe it. So Lord, help me today, even as the minister of your gospel, of your word, to, to have the anointing touch my mind, my lips, and my heart. That Lord, your word will accomplish everything you want it to in the hearts of your people, and even in the hearts of unbelievers today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Faith that moves. So, the context of this story is Capernaum. And what's interesting is this town was an important place in the life and ministry of Jesus. In fact, it was the northern headquarters for his ministry. So he, he was familiar with the place. The people were familiar with him. It was here that he put his great healing power on public display. So people were used to seeing the miracles. They were used to seeing him do great things. And it was here that he preached in power. 
Jesus Christ made his very public claims to be the Messiah in Capernaum. So there's a lot of big things that are happening in Capernaum. But here's the issue, or the problem if you will, was that the people in the city of Capernaum valued the miracles more than the message or the Messiah himself. So they, they wanted the ooh, the ah, and this is supernatural, this is amazing. And there are some people, sadly I'd say, in church, where instead of coming for Jesus, they, they, they want to see the cool stuff. And they say, show me the goods. You know, they even said to Jesus, show me. I forget who it was. If it was Herod or somewhere, just leading up to his crucifixion. It was like, do the miracles. Let's see. Do something. And Jesus didn't answer them. But Capernaum was longing, itching for the miraculous more than the message Jesus came with. And more than the fact that he was the Messiah. And so that's a bit of the context of where we find this story in Mark chapter 2. But I love verse 2 because it kind of paints this picture where Jesus is preaching in the house. And it's a, literally a packed house. And the Bible says that to the point where people were outside of the house even. And it kind of gives me a flashback to a couple of weeks ago on Easter weekend here at Weston when we saw so many of you inviting friends and family to hear the, good, the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage the church, don't wait another 340 days to invite someone to church. Amen. Amen? You, we should be in the habit of bringing people to Weston, bringing and inviting people to church. Why? Because the gospel still works even after Easter Sunday is done. Yes, people are more open to an invitation, and that's why we really pushed hard. Um, but it doesn't mean this Sunday is not a good Sunday. Next Sunday is not a good Sunday. You know, real quick, I, there's a church that I was a pastor on staff at, and I understood the intent of the idea. They, they had what they called Bring a Friend Sunday, and it was like the last Sunday of every month. And they would do like newer songs, the service had some different like elements to it. But, and I understood the intent. But the other thing though, what you don't say is as much important as what you do say. So it kind of instilled in people, well, the other three Sundays in the month, then I shouldn't be bringing people to church. Right? And so I want to declare for Weston... Uh, again, I said I understood the intent, but I want to declare for Weston, every Sunday is Bring a Friend Sunday. The message is not going to change. The worship is not going to change. We are who we are. We love Jesus and we worship passionately no matter who's in the room. And it's true of us in the building here and it should be true of each of us when we go out there. And so I just wanted to submit that to you. But here's the crowd. It's a packed house. And Jesus, in, you know, he could have just done the miracles. Give the people what they ask for. You know what I'm saying? But it doesn't say that. The scripture actually says in verse 2, Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. And it says, while he was preaching, what? God's word to them. So Jesus, 
said more than the miracles that they are itching for, what is still more important is for you to get the word inside of you. Because, again, if you know what his word says, you can take him at his word. So that's why we pick songs like this. Because it's a great reminder that if I don't know what the Word of God actually says for myself, and I'm just going by hearsay, I don't have much to pull on or much to stand on. So you need to dig deep for yourself into God's Word, because when you have it in you, the Holy Spirit can draw it out of you, and faith pulls the Word out of you. And so here he is. He's preaching the Word. Now, you know, when you think about drawing a crowd... Nowadays, a lot of people can draw a crowd. People like the flashiness. I, I also think of social media, which didn't exist in Jesus' day. And you could easily grow a platform. You could have influence. But it doesn't mean you know Jesus. And so, you know, I think of TikTok. I think of YouTube. I think of even Instagram. It, it's fairly easy to begin to build a following or a platform. And I'm not saying it's bad. In fact, let me give you a free business tip. You know, there's uh, a guy, he's not a Christian, but I'm going to let you know who he is. But again, he's not a Christian because the language he uses is not the best. But he says something that is really important. He goes, if you want to uh, make a difference and, and actually... Um, use social media in a great way. He said, document, don't create. So if you're a business owner and you're sitting there going, man, I don't understand this YouTube thing. I don't understand Instagram or TikTok or anything. And how do I use it to grow my business? He says, document, don't create. Because if you sit, you're going to sit there all day going, I don't know what to create as a post. But when you're documenting, you're like, hey, I'm a, a real estate agent. Uh, hey, I'm a teacher. This, you know, I'm just setting up my cl classroom. You're documenting what you're doing throughout your day. And here's the free tip. As long as you add value and there's quality and consistency, it's going to grow. Value is the key thing. So a lot of people can, can do that really well. And even in the Christian space, you know, did you know on YouTube, if you don't like the, what the algorithm feeds you, you can actually click and say, I don't want to see recommendations from this channel anymore. I actually do that because I find a lot of them that show up. And these are not pastors, but they're people who comment on what goes on in the church. They're, they might be Christians, but I, when I start listening, I go, I don't need to hear your opinion on what this church in the States is going through and, and the problems that, you know, it's good when they, I like when they talk about culture because it helps me keep my finger on the pulse because I don't have enough time to study everything that goes on. And sometimes they can condense it. But the danger, and I want to give this to you as the church is just because someone says something about a church or a ministry or about the Bible doesn't necessarily mean it's true. It's just their commentary and opinion. That's why you need to come back to the Word. So, you know, thank God in my world, in my head, my heart, you know, as a pastor, when I hear something, I say, Lord, help me. What is this guy talking about? And sometimes if I know it's not good, I will literally say, don't recommend this channel to me anymore. And I never have to see it again.
And so be wise. And if it puts a negative spirit in you, get rid of it. Find people who will encourage you, equip you with the word. Go back to our Western YouTube channel, watch old sermons, and grow in your faith and say, God, feed me and find the good stuff. But don't just watch that. You need to get the good stuff first from here. So I need to say that, and then we're going to move on. But I said to say, anyone can draw a crowd. But here Jesus is, and it's a packed house. You know, on Thursday night, like I think of celebrities, I think of rock stars, I even think of some preachers or even some worship uh, leaders or artists. But Thursday night we had Brandon Lake. He's a worship leader in um, downtown Toronto at the Coca-Cola Coliseum. And if you would see this guy walking down the street, depending your generation, your era, you might go, whoa, I'm going to, I don't know about this guy. Long curly hair, tatted all over the place. But you can't judge a book by its cover. And I say that because that night was one of the best, I, I, I don't like the word concert, I'll say worship events that I've ever seen. And I'll tell you why. Every opportunity between songs that he could. He talked about the songs that he would sing. And we've, we sing some of them in church. But it was Jesus. It was Jesus. Gave an altar call for salvation. And let me share with you how did, like what I saw with my eyes as a pastor, my heart was filled with joy. He gave an altar call for salvation. And they had these bracelets that they handed out that the lighting control guy at the back could make the bracelets turn blue so it matched like the concert aesthetic. But for the salvation, he said, I want, they prayed the prayer and he goes, I want everyone to put your bracelet hand behind your back. And he said, um, if you prayed that prayer to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior or you're rededicating your life back to Jesus, I want you to take that hand now and lift it up. And I tell you, there were hundreds of hands that went up. And I said, thank you, Lord. And I said, he's not here for performance. It was ministry. And for me, my heart was filled. And I was glad that it was a sold-out event. And I said, Lord, if, if this is what the next generation is, I want more of it. People who are on fire for Jesus, who will not make it about themselves, but they're going to make it about Jesus every song, every time. And so I, I just wanted to say, if you were there, I know some of the people from church were there. I said hi to you. Um, it was great. Does it mean every Christian singer is the same? No. So you need to pray for wisdom. You need to pray for discernment. There are some things that I see that I don't like. Uh, some of it is like how some of these artists will dress for their social media stuff because they have swagger or they want to flaunt what they got. And, and I say, I, I think we're missing, we're slowly, we have to be very careful. We have to be careful. So I, I need to move on, but I felt it's important to just talk about some of these things because a lot of things can draw a lot of people. But as Christians, the main thing is going to be Jesus. You know, Weston, we'll do events. We'll have food at events and all that. But ever since I graduated from Bible school, I remember the prayer at my graduation that a pastor prayed. He said, if you get them to come for pizza, they'll only stay for pizza. 
get them to come for the power of God so that they'll stay for the power of God. And so as a church, that's what I'm after. Do we want to serve with excellence and have those things? Yes. We want the fellowship. It is godly. Not at the expense, though, of leaving Jesus in some backroom prayer closet. Amen. Welcome to Weston if you're new. So the question then is not, can you draw a crowd? The question becomes, what do you do with the crowd? That's what actually matters. What do you do with the crowd? Brandon Lake, perfect opportunity, altar call. Jesus, they want the miracles. He's not giving them what they want. He's giving them the word. He says he preached to them. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans says. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the what? The word of God. And so Jesus is preaching to them. You know, I was looking up some stats on, on churches and the decline of churches. Trying to find something specific to Canada. And I came across this article from CBC dated in 2019. I want to read the, the title of the article was Why It Matters 9,000 Churches and Religious Spaces Will Close Over the Next 10 Years. So this is 2019, so this is up to 2029. Why it matters that 9,000 churches and religious spaces will close. At first I was like, yeah, like I'm interested to hear because of all the spiritual, you know, the, the preaching of God's word that's going to be missing and removed and all of that. That's not where the article went, sadly. It said, if the pews are empty for Sunday Mass, um, sorry, if the pews are empty for Sunday Mass, Hasn't the community spoken? Why does it matter if the church closes? Listen, the reason it matters from my perspective, the person writing the article, is that these buildings have proven to be centers of community writ large. So they are homes to all kinds of not-for-profit and community groups that don't necessarily have anything to do with religion. I emphasize that. This is necessary. There are all these groups and communities that meet. They have nothing to do with religion, but have to do with the common good. If these faith buildings close, then we lose those spaces for those kinds of activities. So the question then is, what kind of non-religious activities take place in churches? Pretty much everything you could imagine. Daycares, kids' activities, seniors' activities, municipal voting stations, 12-step groups, meeting spaces, vaccination clinics, arts groups very often perform and rehearse out-of-faith buildings because of the acoustics. And I was reading this and I said, yeah, they don't want to lose 9,000 churches because they're going to turn them into condos and they have no place to gather for arts and crafts time. Is that community aspect important? Yes. Was the church built for that purpose? No. And so I, I wrote this down because I said, God, I want to articulate my thoughts and we're going to move on. But I have no problem making the church available to the community. But too many churches have stopped preaching the gospel and turned these sacred spaces into a rental business. That's literally what that is. The church is dwindling. There's about 12 people. And all they do then to survive is rent out the space 
so that it's run like a business and there's money that's coming in, but the gospel is not being preached and the church is not growing. When I look at Jesus' ministry, they packed that place out. And he wasn't giving them what they wanted. He was giving them the word. So why isn't the church today filled with, with people who are hungry to hear the word? I believe because churches are not preaching. And I'm saying very broad statement. I'm not saying Weston. A very broad statement of the, the church in general. The church building is not meant to be a secular community center. It's meant to be a sacred place where the church gathers to glorify God, hear the preaching of God's word, and to see the demonstration of how the gospel transforms people's lives from the inside out. Will miracles, signs, and wonders accompany? They should, yes. The Bible says it. It's a house of worship, a house of prayer, a house of miracles, signs and wonders, a house of healing and salvation. What matters is not, can you draw a crowd? Instead, what matters is what you do with the crowd. That's the point I'm trying to drive home. And it breaks my heart. If that's true, 9,000, it was a study done, 9,000 churches in the next 10 years are going to shut down. Listen, we opened a second location. And so I'm saying, give us the buildings. Don't, don't turn them into condos or whatever. Like, there are churches, as, as sad as that is, I, I also want to give you the good stuff. There are churches like Weston who are growing who are preaching the word of God, the kingdom is still advancing, who still have a fresh vision from the Lord to see people who are far from God reached. And, and that is the good side of that. And those are the kinds of ministers that I want to hang around with. Now, I don't say that to put myself in a, in a higher category. I say if there's a minister or pastor who's struggling, I'm not like, I'm too good for that. No, it's like, how can we help? How can I encourage you? That's my heart. How can I encourage you to keep on keeping on? Be faithful in the pulpit. Be faithful in the pastorate so that the work of God may advance. And so we're not too big for that. But in terms of stirring my faith, I need to surround myself with pastors who are full of vision, with pastors who say, no, you know what? Let's take this city for Jesus. Toronto, I'm talking about, not some city. Let's take this city for Jesus. And I say, you know what? We need to do coffee more often. We need to let our faith stir one another on so that we can do more for the, for the gospel, but together. And so... It's important that you have faith for the church. And I share that because I want to see this place packed. Not for ego. I could care less. I always say, don't come for me. Come for him. But if we've gotten too comfortable with just, you know, church, I'm going to show up. It's for me. I'm going to, I want to push us beyond those borders, church. There should be faith that stirs in my heart to say, you know what? I'm looking around. If everyone invited half a friend, not even one person, we'd have no more space. So we're not doing bad. It's not what I'm saying. 
But when I look out and I see the condition of our, our city, there are so many people who need Jesus. There's no shortage of the harvest. The call is for the people who understand to get part of it, to wake up, to let's make a difference. Let's do our part together. And I, and I know as a church, we've been doing some great things. And God is very pleased with us, but we can always do better. We can do more. And so Jesus, back to our story, there's the crowd. It's full. It's packed. He's giving them the word. He could have simply performed a miracle and given the crowd what they wanted. Like I said, he chose to preach. And I can't help but conclude then that the message was more important than the miracles. The message was more important than the miracles. Well, let me qualify that statement. Miracles are a result of the power of the word. If you don't understand that you have a God who heals, how can you have faith for him to heal you? If you don't understand that you have a God who can break the power of addiction in your life, how can you have faith to believe that he can break the power of addiction in your life? So you need the word to minister to you first. And then the miracles will happen. That's why miracles will accompany. Miracles follow the preaching of his word. And God backs up his word. And that's why I, I try to stay in the word. I start in the word, stay in the word, and end in the word. As much as possible. Because this is what God will back up. Not my opinion or my thoughts. And so I try to stay very simple and preach God's word. Isaiah 55, 11. Some of you know this, some of you don't. Right under my feet, it's written here. Before we laid the carpet... And all over the sanctuary, we invited people who are part of our capital campaign for the renovation. We called it Standing on the Promises. And so right where you are, all throughout this whole sanctuary, but right here under my feet as I stand, I wrote this one, so I know this one's here. Isaiah 55:11. it is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. How many times? Always. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. And so as I preach, I'm allowing the Holy Spirit, just like arrows, straight to your heart. And it's amazing because, you know, someone after service will say, Pastor, what you said here, it was for me and ministered to me. And then someone else will come up to me and a completely different thing you know, in the different part of the sermon and say, Pastor, that thing was for me. I'm like, God, I don't know. I don't even know. And this wasn't even how I thought you would speak to your people. But I thank you, Lord, that your word goes out. All I have to do is be willing to release it. And the Holy Spirit is going to allow it to prosper wherever he sends it. So allow the word to work in you. So when it's in you, last week we said, then faith begins to speak. As faith speaks, faith begins to what? Move. And that's where we're at today. And so we get to, let me just finish these notes and then we're going to get to the cool part. So a few more things about the crowd. Because we're going to find these four friends carrying their friend on a mat. The crowd presented a challenge to these four friends who were trying to bring their other friend. Oh, it doesn't say friends actually, it just says four men. Let me get that accurate. These four men brought this other man on a mat. You see, they came for Jesus, 
But they actually couldn't reach Jesus. You see that? They came for Jesus with their friend, but they couldn't reach Jesus. And hear this for a second. Hiding in the crowd doesn't require faith. Amen? Hiding in the crowd. doesn't. They could have shown up with their friend and just been like, oh, oh well. And just stayed there, blended in with everyone else, with their friend or the other man. But moving beyond the crowd to get what you came for, that's what requires faith. A faith that moves. And so 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Bad company corrupts good character. Now, Proverbs 13.20 says this to combat that. It says, He who walks with the wise with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Walk with those who are wise then. It's a great piece of advice. Walk with those who are wise. And not just wisdom of this earth, but godly wisdom. Walk with those who are wise. Watch out for the crowd that will keep you from Jesus. But make sure you have friends who will do anything to help you get close to Jesus. Right? So, if I could imagine for a second... There's this man. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us what the conversation looked like. But it says these four men brought this man on a mat who was paralyzed to the house where Jesus was preaching. How many of you would agree that alone took faith? And we could conclude now, because Jesus said it, verse 9, they all had faith because it was plural. It's a Jesus noticing their faith, their faith. Not just the man on the mat. They all had to have faith. They pick this guy up. They get to the house. Crowd of people. Well, two options. We could just stay here and hear the message, you know, through the open front doors, however that would look like. Or there's the hidden option. And faith says, but why not do something to put him right in front of Jesus? You know, I think too many times we settle for the crowd and we just, we, we're content just sitting there, coming in and, and going out. When in reality, faith needs to move. Faith needs to move. And they choose to get up and they choose to go onto the roof. The Bible says they begin to pull the tile from the rooftop. Now Jesus is doing what? He's preaching. He's not hanging out with his friends in a, in a busy place at a restaurant. He's in a house preaching. And what's amazing is, it doesn't say that he got upset. As a preacher, you know, I'd probably be like, um, is the cross falling or is something happening on the roof? Right? He didn't get upset. He didn't say, why are you interrupting the preaching? He took it in stride, but it said that he noticed their faith. He noticed their faith. Looking up, they lower the man. The Bible says he's basically in front of Jesus. It, I don't think there's any better place that they could have brought him than to the feet of Jesus. Do you agree? Say amen. I want to be at the feet of Jesus. I need some friends sometimes who will remind me, some friends who will encourage me, some friends who will bring me 
to Jesus and say, this is where you need to be to get all you have. All our faith together works wonders. And so they're willing to open up that roof and to get him right down there. It took faith though. Not just a faith that speaks, God heal him. No, let's bring him. A faith that moves, says, He's, this is heavy. I don't know how far the journey was, but they bring him. See the crowd and continue in faith to mount the roof, make the hole, and put their friend there. That's a faith that moves. And so these, these four men arrived carrying their friend in verse 3, verse 4. Again, they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. It just reminds me of how easily we quit sometimes. The minute we have a bit of resistance when we want to do something for the Lord, we're like, ah, oh, I guess it wasn't your will, God. I'm just, maybe I was crazy. And, and, and we, the, the minute we hit a little bit of a setback, my faith says, no, 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 you came for Jesus. You don't stop until you find Jesus. You, you keep going. You push through the crowd. You press through the crowd. You find a way to get to Jesus. And so no more excuses. Most people who leave church, like not leave after the service, like who leave and walk away from the faith, they say, well, the pastor did this. There was a moral failure. There was, you know, and that breaks my heart too. But you weren't coming for a pastor. You weren't coming for a, a person or an individual. You should have been coming for him. Now, people will always let you down. And I want to let you know that. And if I've offended or hurt anyone, then talk to me. Let, let, I want to reconcile. I, I'm not saying that because I know of anything that happened. I, I'm just saying, I don't want to be the hang-up for someone. Instead, though, maturity looks like this. I wasn't coming for that person to begin with. That's a true mark of a mature Christian. I was coming for you all along, God. And though this broke my heart, it doesn't change my relationship with you. So when there, you know, I don't know of a better example. When people walk away from church, I'll just call it that. Really, they're walking away from their faith and their faith in God and the community that they've been planted in. And that's, that's what scares me as a pastor. If you want to go to a different church where you can get planted, replanted again and, and you're going to make a difference, great. My assumption is most of these people leave and never go back to church and they're angry and bitter. So they say, well, I didn't like that pastor, what he said, what he did, or what that person at, at that church said or did. And they walk away. But in reality, they're not just walking away from a person. Most of the time, they're walking away from their faith in God. And that's the scary part. So, and by the way, if you know someone like that, don't, don't be harsh on them. Love them back into the kingdom. Invite them to a church. I'm not saying this church is the right for, for everyone, but maybe do your homework, do your due diligence, find a, a place, go with them even. I, I give you permission. Attend with them to help reintroduce because if there's hurt there, God needs to bring healing still. Um, but may God use you. May God use you. So rather than casting judgment or looking at them funny, maybe God will put it upon your heart to show love and to welcome them back and say, you know what? Not every church is the same. 
My, one of my first ministry positions, I was done. I, I quit. And I said, I don't know if I'll ever do ministry. This is a horrible experience. All of that. And I had a friend, a youth pastor, who came up to me, a youth pastor friend, who said, um, hey, listen, just because you had a bad experience at that church doesn't mean every church is the same. Doesn't mean that, that every church is going to be a bad experience. And I'm so thankful for that simple word. He didn't say, this is a word from the Lord for you. It was just wisdom, godly wisdom. And so when another opportunity came, I'm so grateful that I walked in that door and I'm still in ministry almost next year. I think it's going to be 20 years. Crazy. But the faithfulness of God. So these men bring their friend. And all I wanted to say was how easily we quit sometimes. Oh, it's raining. I can't go to church today. I'm going to mess up my hair for Monday. Some of us, we let the weather dictate if we're here or not. I know it's true. So I'm saying it. <laughs> we can't pick and choose. This is the Lord's day. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. You know, I think of Reinhard Bonnke. He went to be with the Lord a few years ago. A great evangelist who preached and millions would come. Millions would come. In Africa, he would preach. Millions would come. Guess what? They didn't have airplanes. They, they didn't have um, cars. They would walk for days, for miles and miles to show up to be there. Just to hear the word of God preached. So what is your excuse? What is my excuse? We don't have an excuse. And then it leads me to this thought. It's no wonder, you know, and I'm not picking on a nation, but it's no wonder Africans see the dead raised. And, and here in North America, it's like such a rare, far gone imagination to think God can really raise someone from the dead. Here's the thing. If we would really know Jesus, we would do anything to be in his presence. And so they bring this man on the roof. They lower him down. Seeing their faith. You ready for the big moment? The people came for the miracles. Here's this paralyzed man. Are you ready? You ready for the big moment? Your sins are forgiven. What? So... The Pharisees and the religious leaders, to them, they're going, whoa, this is blasphemy. Who does he think he is that he has the authority to forgive people of their sins? And here's the thing. It's true. You can't tell if it actually happened or not. Right? And so they have an issue with that. Saying that's blasphemy. And now maybe there are other people. This is my thought as I look into the story. They're probably like, sins? Did, did Jesus not notice the guys on a mat that he, had, he needed four men to lower him down and he's paralyzed? Like, is he out to lunch? I know he's preaching with authority and power, but like he missed this one. And maybe some of us, we show up to church and we think those thoughts. If it's about me, I, don't, I, I could care less, like I said. But if it's about him, oh, then I care. God doesn't miss a shot. 
He doesn't miss a shot. He's never early, never late. He's always on time. And so when he says your sins are forgiven, Jesus is ready to teach them a big lesson. Because number one, now they're, they're saying that's blasphemy. And the Bible says that Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew what they were thinking in their heart. And he addresses it out loud, though. So just by that very fact, if, if Jesus was able to call out something I just thought, I would start a cold sweat on the spot. Oh, oh, oh. How did he know? And so Jesus says, what's easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up? And it's a rhetorical question because we all know the answer. Well, of course, to say get up. And so what does Jesus do? Get up, take your mat, and go home. The faith in this man and his four men that brought him, I can't say his friends, sorry. If I've said friends, please just understand the Bible does not say friends. It's just that old habit. I think it was Sunday school, perhaps, the story I read. But the Bible just says four men brought him, this paralyzed man, okay? You can clear me from that. So, I, I lost my train of thought now. Someone help me? Let me get back. I, I don't like reading through the notes, but I will to get back on track. What's that? Yes, I know that part. <laughs> oh, sins are forgiven. There we go. So, it took faith faith that moves to get the man there it took faith that moves to get them on the roof and to pull these tiles out and to lower them down but it also took now him alone faith that moves to listen to the words of Jesus and obey because he said this stand up it wasn't like a suggestion or you know if you feel tingling now in your feet stand up maybe it was a command. I want you to catch that in verse 11. Stand up. Pick up your mat and go home. Here's the faith that moves part in verse 12. It says, And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. Oh. We just thought Jesus missed the mark by saying your sins are forgiven, but the guy still got healed. His sins are forgiven, and he got healed. Sins are forgiven, and he got healed. Look at the order. I see your faith. Your sins are forgiven. You're healed. God cares about your soul, because without saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, you're on your way to hell. But he also wants to heal you of your sickness and of your disease. That's all part of what he would accomplish for you and me on the cross. That's the power of what we preach. That's the power of knowing God's word. I see your faith. Your sins are forgiven. And you are healed. Get up and go. It took faith for him to get up, to pick up his mat, which he'd probably never done, and to go home. And I love the fact that everyone there witnessed a mighty miracle I'm going to ask if the whole worship team would come back. I want us to sing that song, I'll Take You at Your Word. And I believe that as they sing this, we're going to cross over from death to life. Talking about in your faith. 
You're going you're gonna to go from, mm, I'm not sure, to, to making a decision today to say, God, in simple faith, if you said it, I'm going to do it. Lord, I'm not just going to say it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take a step forward. And, and I'm believing for God to do miracles, signs, and wonders. Can you say amen? I'm going to invite you to stand up to your feet. You know, I love the fact that the Bible says in verse 12, he jumped up to his feet. Jumped up. So there's a spring that happens when I start to move in faith. There's a spring in my step. And, and, and it's a step of faith that propels you forward. And so this morning, you know, when I think about the whole picture of this story, I said it earlier, if we would really know Jesus, we would do anything to be in his presence. It's a great picture of the church. It's this. It's one where Jesus is actually present. Where it's not, I heard one amen. The great picture of the church is one where Jesus is present. Amen. And so today, I want you to know he's in the room. Not because I said it, because he said it. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And if he's in the room, that means salvation is in the room. That means healing is in the room. That means the chain breaker is in the room. That means freedom is in the room. And so here's the thing. As Megan and the team, they're going to play this song. I'm just going to ask first. Uh, I want to give a, a call for salvation. Some of you are going to have a faith that begins to move really quick. You're going to pass from death to life. You, the Bible paints the picture like this. Once I was lost, but now I'm found. Once I was dead, but now I'm alive. And that happens when you come into relationship with Jesus Christ. Romans 10 actually says it's, it happens by faith, lest any man boast. I'm not saved because of my good works. I'm saved instead as a result of the finished work of the cross. And I receive him by faith. And so in Romans 10, it says if you confess, it's a faith that has to speak. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart, God raised them from the dead, you will be saved. You have to understand there's an enemy of your soul. His name is the devil. And the devil, the Bible tells us, Jesus' his words, he's come only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life to the full.